Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Clean Techies, the podcast, as always, sponsored and made possible by Next Wave Partners. Um, I'm very, I'm super excited to be able to introduce this podcast to all of you. It's something I've wanted to do for a while, taken a while to get everything put together in the background. I appreciate the patience for those of you who know that this has been coming. But what my goal here with this podcast is uh, is to just have conversations with people in the clean tech space, whether that be uh, carbon tech or clean agriculture, specifically or electric vehicles. There's so many subsectors, water, sustainability, built environment, all of these things. But having these conversations to help bring awareness to people who are not highly familiar with what clean tech is and what's being done in the space. I also want to be able to highlight entrepreneurs and what they're doing to try to help them accomplish their goal at a quicker pace. Uh, and just to really bring light to this new, this revolution of clean, clean way of living and, and building things and doing things. So I'm very excited to, to introduce this to you. And in today's episode, uh, the first episode here, I spoke with Steve Heckeroth of SelectTrack, who has a pretty interesting background in clean agriculture, specifically clean tractors and electric tractors. And he's been doing, he's been working on innovating in this space for a long time and has run into so many obstacles with the, the opposition from conventional ways of doing things in industrial agriculture, but he's finally starting to get a lot of traction, uh, no pun intended. And it's very, we had a really great conversation kind of covering a lot of topics kind of on a relatively high level, but again, very excited to introduce this, this show to you. And I hope you enjoy my conversation today with Steve Hackeroth of SelectTrack. Thank you for joining me today, Steve. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, this is our, our first episode here. I really appreciate uh, appreciate you joining me. I appreciate everybody listening. Uh, so just to give a background to everybody listening, what, what we're doing here with Clean Techies, uh, the podcast specifically, is to have conversations with people like Steve to help the average person understand more about clean tech, clean agriculture, climate tech, whatever you want to call it. Uh, there's a lot of really, really interesting things happening in the world as we're all kind of becoming more aware of, uh, of, our, of our footprint and what we do, the CO2 that we're emitting. And there's a lot of people like Steve who are inventing ways to try to help reduce that and, and change it. So I appreciate everybody taking the time uh, to join us today. Um, I guess, Steve, did you want to, did you want to give us kind of a, a brief background about yourself and kind of maybe where you came from and then how you ended up getting onto this path? Yeah, I was uh, born and raised in LA in the 50s. It was the, uh, had the worst pollution of any place in the world at that time. It was before there was any emission controls on cars and Sometimes you couldn't see across the street and your lungs would, would actually burn when you breathed. Um, I ran track and cross country along a freeway, pretty much destroyed my lungs. And I decided there had to be a better way to uh, get around and uh, get energy than burning fossil fuel. So um, I started doing some research on it. And the very first Earth Day in 1970, 
I helped organize it in my campus and I dedicated my life to finding alternatives to burning fossil fuel. So I've been at this for 50 years, uh, a little over 50 years. Yeah. Um, and, and I was educated as an architect. So uh, the first 25 years I spent um, sort of perfecting the design and building of passive solar homes that uh, at the end, I was actually producing more energy than they used. As soon as photovoltaics came on board, I, uh, I then worked for the largest thin film photovoltaic manufacturer in the world. Um, as the director of building integrated photovoltaics. So you wouldn't have to use any, any real estate, any land, all you did was use roofs. And I did designs and installations for hundreds of uh, building integrated installations. And then um, in 1990, um, the California Air Resources Board came up with what they called the zero emission uh, mandate. And that said that by 1998, 1% of the cars sold in California had to be zero emission. And I got really excited about that because I think the, at the time, and I think still, um, the largest source of uh, greenhouse gas emissions and pollution is uh, cars and trucks on the road. So, uh, so I started building electric cars started a company um, and uh, borrowed some money and and uh, I found that uh, the I had to find the lightest car possible and then at that time all there was was lead acid batteries so you find the lightest car and then fill it with lead and that was <laughs> that was the way to get a long range um, I, I found the uh, poor spider replica kits and got bought them without engines or gas tanks and put um, like uh, half a ton of batteries in them. And I got a hundred mile range and they went zero to 60 in eight seconds because all the torque of electric motors. And uh, I was having a good time with that, but I was really disappointed about um, the, the problem that battery weight caused. I mean, having half the weight of the vehicle be battery weight. So I, I saw this uh, at a county fair, I saw this cement block on the back of a tractor. And all of a sudden this light bulb came on that tractors were the ideal electric vehicles because they need weight for traction. And you actually, when you buy a tractor, they sell you weights and you put those <laughs> yeah. on the front bumper. So they're heavy too. So. Uh, so I, I came up with a patent for exchangeable battery packs. So, uh, and I put um, a three point hitch on the front and the back. So you can exchange battery packs. If you've got a heavy implement on the back, you can put the battery weight on the front to balance that weight. Or if you have a loader in the front, you can put the battery, exchangeable battery in the, in the back. And it gives you a lot of extended runtime. So, uh, so that's what got me started. That was 30 years ago. Um, I started building electric tractors and pretty much focused on that. And uh, at that time, up until about five years ago, I was the only one in the world doing it. And now, um, now some more 
uh, tractor companies. We, we just had a, a conference call with one of the largest tractor manufacturers in the world this morning. So it's starting to get some traction. Yeah, uh, nice. That's amazing. What are some of the what are some of the challenges that you've run into? I mean, obviously, as as you've indicated, you are essentially the first mover in this space. So, what are some of the challenges that you've run into, and you've maybe seen less resistance to now? Now that things have kind of started to progress with clean energy and and clean tech technology in general. Well, the biggest challenge, of course, is comes from the oil companies. Um, the zero emission mandate was shot down by. Uh, a lawsuit from uh, the Western States Petroleum Association and the California Manufacturers Association. They put $60 million in a fund and uh, did negative advertising. And, and uh, they, they sued, GM sued uh, the state of California and then the Bush administration joined that suit and pretty much killed the whole program. So they pushed back the introduction of electric vehicles about 20 years. Um, and that, you know, the things like Exxon knowing about um, global warming and how greenhouse gases affected um, global warming back in the 80s and showing um, how it was going to be a problem but then um, realizing that that was their bread and butter and uh, just putting out disinformation. So uh, the biggest, biggest issue was disinformation um, and how to get the word out that actually electric tractors were a good solution. Um, the battery weight was an asset. Electric motors have maximum torque at zero RPM. Um, they have very little noise and no pollution. So uh, they're an excellent alternative all the way around, um, not even considering the environmental. Um, there's a lot of safety and health issues involved too. So, Yeah, I think I, that's, that's obviously, I think part of the whole reason of this podcast is that the people, many people don't aren't aware of, you know, the other opportunities and what really, what really exists. I know coming from a farming uh, background myself with a lot of my relatives being farmers, I, when I had originally spoken with you, it was super, super insightful to hear what you had to say and kind of the things you introduced, the ideas you introduced me to about clean farming. And that's kind of, you know, what I'd also like to, to discuss at some point here is, you know, what is the impact that you can make? And do you, do you have the stats off the top of your head of, you know, what the carbon emissions are from tractors or, you know, maybe what, what do you see that you can help reduce through, you know, the success of what you're trying to do here? I think agriculture is probably the one thing that can turn everything around uh, because, you know, the reason there's oxygen in the air is because plants grow and they take in carbon dioxide and sunlight and water and they sequester carbon in their roots and and they put out oxygen and that is a, a three billion year process that turned this planet from a, a dead um, lifeless body into some place that could support life and that three billion year process we are now turning around in about 200 years 
by digging all that carbon up that had been sequestered that allowed the oxygen to be in the air and the climate to be um, somewhat, you know, 15, even 20 years ago, you could buy a farmer's almanac and it would tell you what the climate was going to, what the temperature and the, what the, uh, what the climate was going to be like throughout the year. But um, now that's no longer the case. Um, we have bigger hurricanes, bigger snowstorms, with bigger droughts, um, the oceans are dying, dying off. There's all, all kinds of things that are happening because we're putting that CO2, that global warming gas up in the atmosphere at such a tremendous rate. Um, and so plants are really the answer, you know, they're the things that, that made this, this planet habitable but yet um, the way we do agriculture, um, it produces about 8% of the greenhouse gas emissions. And if we did agriculture in a, in a regenerative way where we did not harm the soil, we did not poison the soil, and we allowed plants to grow on the soil all the time, typical um, large industrial farming just eradicates all life in the soil um, with, you know, they called it the green revolution. I call it the toxic revolution because it's when they started using the herbicides, pesticides and chemical fertilizers instead of the old organic methods in cultivation. But if you can run in the same wheel tracks on row crops, every year, that's the only place you can pack and you can leave the soil that the growing space totally untouched and all the worms and the, all the good, good bacteria and, and the, all the things that support plant life stay alive in that soil. The difference between that and what you see on the large farms where they, they have to rip the soil because of the compaction with the heavy tractors then they till it and they disc it and then they bed shape and then they they plant and they spray their spray their poisons and um, they're just using the soil as a as a just a medium for growing plants and trying to give the one plant the monocrop that they're growing uh, the best chance and get rid of everything else so um, with that kind of a system, we're causing more CO2 emissions. If we go to a more regenerative system where we're, we're protecting the soil that we're growing in and keeping, keeping the plant growth on it all the time, cover crops, and then, um, then go immediately to your, your crop, plant right in the, when you mow the cover crop, you just plant right in that, that mulch and just keep going. You harvest, then you uh, cover crop and you leave, leave things growing. The ground should always be green. And what it is, then you're producing, uh, producing oxygen and you're putting the CO2 back in the ground. So if we do agriculture right, we can reverse climate change. And that's one of the few things that can actually do that. So agriculture can play a huge role in uh, reversing climate change.
Yeah. So if you were to, if you were to break down kind of the components of industrial agriculture and, you know, how they're hurting the, the earth, like how they're creating all of these, uh, these emissions, what are some of the ways that you could, if you could just walk us through those, those major factors and see how can we do this differently? How can we change the way we farm to a smaller scale with the supply chain and all of those things to, to make it a more regenerative farming method? Yeah, well, first off, um, it's the long supply chains that um, service um, those mega farms, those industrial farming. They have to, uh, the resources that go into those, you know, when you used to pump, pump the oil out of the ground, it, it came out and then you refined it and then you got it to the, to the gas station. But now we're starting to mine tar, tar sands. We're fracking to get natural gas to melt the tar sands. And then we're putting piping it all the way across the country. And so by the time it gets into the, the fuel tank of your tractor, that's only a small part of the emissions that, that are going into the atmosphere because it's, that whole supply chain has emissions at every step. CO2 is produced in every step of that fossil fuel supply chain. And most people think, well, they, they used to measure uh, fuel economy by as though the gas magically appeared in the gas tank. Well, that's not a reality. And it's becoming less and less reality because the, the low hanging fruit, the easy sources of oil that used to just come out of the ground now we're mining um, for oil, the oil shale and the tar sands and, and going out in the ocean and drilling down five miles. Those are all things that take way more input. So by the time you include all those, those CO2 emissions, maybe 10 times the emissions that you actually produce when you drive the tractor. So it's a, it's a huge, um, it's becoming an increasing problem. And then, then what they're having to do to uh, stop the pollution um, on tractors is they're putting all these emission controls, which make the tractors less efficient. So when you make something less efficient, you produce more CO2 emissions. They're getting rid of the particulates, which is uh, good for people's health, but they're producing more CO2 emissions in the process. So the great thing that's happened is um, now solar photovoltaics are the cheapest source of energy. They're cheaper than any other source of energy. So we, we can use photovoltaics to level the whole playing field. Right now, if you have oil, if your country is oil rich or has a good oil infrastructure, you're, you're set, you're rich, you're a rich country. If you don't have oil, you're a poor country. And that's just the way it is. But with solar energy, you can put up a solar array anywhere in the world and be farming the next day because your solar array can charge your tractor. So it's not dependent on all that infrastructure and supply chain of the fossil fuel industry. And even the, the auto industry is 
you know, is, is changing really rapidly. I don't know if you follow Tesla, but they're now, their market mm -hmm. cap is, is larger than all the re rest of the auto industry put together. So um, these, uh, there's a really rapid change happening just in the last two years. And it's accelerating now that we have somebody who believes in science in the White House. Um, that's going to make a huge difference. And somebody who's, um, you know, appointing people to uh, special climate change committees and, and setting up whole departments to study climate change and find the best solutions and, and saying that by 2035, there's not going to be any more internal combustion engines. Even GM is saying that now. They're not going to produce internal combustion uh, combustion engines by 2035. So the the switch is starting to happen, and the solar because solar is the cheapest so form of energy, and it can be put in any any place where you know food grows when it's sunny. So it's an ideal combination. You put out your solar array have your electric tractor that's powered off the solar array and you can provide food security where now people are struggling just to feed their families. You give somebody a good good gardener, a tractor and they can feed their whole community. So because it's, it just increases your, your efficiency that much. Yeah, could you talk about a little bit more about the like the I think we had chatted about this in the in the past is larger tractors versus smaller tractors and kind of the uh, the methods used to farm locally and have a smaller community grown uh, type of farm. I, I remember you had put me onto the um, that documentary called Kiss the Ground, I believe it's yeah. called on Netflix, and they discuss a lot in there. They go over how we need to shift our mindset from industrial farming to this local local supply chain, supplying our local towns and, and, you know, making sure we're taking care of the, the soil, not turning it to dirt. But could you talk a little bit more about that? What can some of the people listening maybe do, or at least look forward to, or advocate for their, in their local, local towns and local communities to help create this, this future where we have, uh, you know, clean agriculture? Yeah. I, in Kiss the Ground, the, the best example is, is, where they uh, grow these monocrops in the Midwest, and then they have feedlots, you know, all spread all over the world. And so they're shipping, you know, um, corn and soybeans and stuff that is cows shouldn't really even be eating. They're made to, to consume grass. And um, what the Kiss the Ground says, let's just turn it back to the prairie the way it was, you know, the buffalo roamed the prairie and everything was in balance and um, they didn't have to grow food and then ship it all the way across the country to a feedlot that where the, they have to give the uh, cows, you know, antibiotics and everything to keep them alive because they're walking in their own manure all their life. So it's, uh, it's it seems like, it should be obvious that the, the further away you are from where your, your food is grown, the more um, pollution you're causing. 
the more um, energy is used. So what I I'm advocate for is um, farmers markets, community, small scale farms. So so we can we can put a solar array in a, a small community, and it can power um, not only the farm but but also um, the tractor can be used as a mobile source of power to power a clinic or a school. So they can charge it with a solar array and, and take it over for disaster relief, all kinds of things. But, but that kind of a small scale solar community, um, people can walk to get their food. It doesn't have to be you know, shipped thousands of miles and then delivered to a you know, distribution center, then delivered to a grocery store, and then you got to drive to the grocery store. You have a small community like Europe has green belts around their towns because they were pre-auto. So they, they, have, uh, they have natural boundaries around their small towns and in those green belts is where their food is grown. So the food is very close. It just is around the town and comes into the center. You have farmer's markets. There's farmer's markets in every town. And uh, that I think is gonna be the solution along with solar leveling the whole playing field. So there's not rich, wealthy uh, uh, fossil fuel countries that, countries that have access to fossil fuel, when you have solar distributed throughout the world, then everybody's on the same footing. It's the great equalizer. Yeah, and I mean, not to mention the, I'm assuming there's a very large component of the food that's grown in this more responsible way is also better for us, correct? Oh yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> the, uh, the large industrial farms, it's all herbicides and pesticides and chemical fertilizers. What kind of food do you get out of that? I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's tainted, it's not healthy. Um, but if you grow it with organic methods, you're completing cycles that need to be completed. You know, and the Native Americans had no word for waste because Waste is, is really only an invention of, of modern, modern civilization. When, uh, you know, every, every, when you complete the cycle from food to eating the food to putting uh, the waste or the, you know, your byproducts back in the soil, then you're completing a cycle. One thing is a nutrient for the next thing. And uh, when we put it, flush it down the, the toilet, it ends up in the river where it is a pollutant. But if we were composting and, and taking care of all, all what we consider waste and organic matter and putting that back on the soil, instead of um, using chemical fertilizers, compost is an amazing soil nutrient because it's just completing that nutrient cycle. 
Yeah, under, understood, understood. Um, you know, I guess one thing maybe what I'd like to kind of wrap wrap the the podcast up with is, you know, especially for any entrepreneurs maybe listening to this, you know, what is your advice to people who are trying to build something and try to truly make an impact on the world rather than just making making a successful business? What is your advice to to people going into this? Obviously, you've had a pretty um, exciting career as far as the entrepreneurial ventures you've taken. So what, what would your advice be? Well, it's kind of tenacity and, and not, not giving up. You know, if you, if you think you, you know how to solve a problem, then just don't give up. You know, people come up to me now and say, gosh, you're just in the right place at the right time. And I say, yeah, it only took me 30 years. <laughs> so so exactly. it's, it's like you got you to gotta keep worth it and you got to do what you believe in. You're, you're never going to be successful if you're working at something that you don't truly believe in. And, and the passion has to show through in order to say, sell, sell something to somebody. So just uh, follow your passion and uh, make sure it's, it's something that, that makes the next generation better. And uh, I don't think you can lose. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's great. I'm, I'm, I appreciate the advice, Steve. I think a lot of people listening will enjoy it too. So uh, I think, I think that's, that's, all, that's everything for today. Thank you for taking the time to, to come on the podcast, Steve. I really appreciate it. Um, is there any specific resource that people can, to, can uh, go to to find more about as, as you continue to grow SelectTrack? Well, our, our website is www.selecttrack.com. Uh, we're going to be at the World um, Ag Expo um, next week, um, virtually. So stop in, World Ag Expo. And we're going to have a demo and a seminar. And um, we'll be open for, uh, I think it's a three-day time. And then they're going to keep it on, on uh, virtual all, all year long. So there'll be a lot there and we're, we're doing a lot of, uh, a lot of podcasts. I was just on uh, doing an interview with the wall street journal this morning. <laughs> and, uh, and then we had another, another podcast, uh, a little later on, uh, with another clean tech forum. So we're starting to get out there. People are starting to get excited, um, about making the future better. And I, I'm really, really happy it's finally happening yeah it's definitely an exciting time and it's it's, it's very it's very inspiring to to meet people like yourself who've been pushing the boundaries for a long time you know and finally you know you you've obviously put in a lot of work with a lot of um a lot of challenges a lot of stumbling blocks along the way huge organizations trying to push back and and you've kept pushing forward and and i think it's it's starting to pay off so we really thank you people like yourself for, for doing this. And um, we definitely look forward to mass production of your electric tractors so we can start to change the way we farm. So thank you again, Steve, for coming on the show. Uh, we will probably see you again. Okay. Thanks so much, guys, for joining on today's episode with Steve Hackerwald. Obviously a great discussion, kind of a high level overview of clean agriculture and what he's doing. Obviously he's worked quite hard to, to get to where he is. So I appreciate the t- you taking the time today. 
Um, a couple things I want to mention is please do, if you found something specifically interesting or still had questions about something, please comment or at me on Twitter, at Silas Maynard for your questions, maybe future guests you'd like to see. But again, please do follow and like. Uh, if you're interested in being involved further, we have a Clean Techies community that we're creating. We've built on Slack and we're growing to help connect other people in the clean tech communities, climate tech, all of those different things to foster these conversations, maybe hiring discussions, getting funding. There's all kinds of uh, ways that this can be helpful to many, many people. So please do join that link in the bio. And again, we look forward to seeing you next time. Uh, I'm excited to announce that on the next episode, we'll, I will be discussing uh, carbon tech with Apoorv Sina of Carbon Upcycling Technologies. Super excited for that one to come out. But if you have any questions, you know where to reach me. Thank you and see you next time.